SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Six minutes after six o'clock, Hilton Tarrant with you on the Market Update this Monday evening. A reminder of our SMS line, 34701 with the keyword <coughs> market. That's 34701 with the keyword market at a cost of two rand an SMS. And we will take uh, one or two of those questions uh, before the end of this evening's program. First up, as always, here's Google It and Fupi with your business news. Thanks, Hilton. Good evening. Stefanuti Stocks has announced that it expects its headline earnings per share for the past financial year to be between 30 and 50% lower than that of the prior comparative period. The firm adds that these results have not yet made any provision for penalty payable to the Competition Commission regarding its current investigations related to tender rigging in the construction industry. And Transnet, South Africa's state-owned port and rail agency, started drilling for a new port near Durban yesterday, an endeavour that may cost as much as 100 billion rand to develop. The plan is to have 18 designated presidential strategic infrastructure products projects rather, and is part of Transnet's 300 billion rand investment plan to upgrade and expand port and rail infrastructure. Looking at the markets now, the JCO share index is closed in the red just over a tenth of 1% at 39,025 points. The rand's at 8.97 to the US dollar, 13.88 to the pound, and 11.75 against the euro. Gold trading at $1,470 an ounce. A barrel of Brink crude oil at $104, and the platinum price at $1,513 an ounce. Thanks, Gugu. Wayne McCurry of Momentum Wealth uh, with us in the hot seat this evening. Wayne, uh, market slightly lower, resources down half a percent. Gold shares almost 2% mm. lower. Financials, industrials flat. Yeah, look, I mean, it was a fairly uneventful day, quite frankly. I mean, markets started up for about the first hour of trading and then a slow slide down and then a little bit of a recovery. But quite frankly, not much happening overall in the market. But as you mentioned, gold mining down about 2% and then some recovery in the platinum shares. I mean, the platinum price itself is up 3% in dollar terms. So it's been quite a nice rally in that price um, over the last couple of days, and the platinum share is doing quite well. I mean, the trading updates, Guru mentioned uh, Stefanuti, that share was down about 3%, but the only other real big fall in day was ArcelorMittal down about 5 um, but that was about it. Stefanuti stocks, you mentioned it there, uh, earnings down between 30 and 50%. Yeah. It was down 62% at the interim stage, so that suggests yeah. they had a better second half. It looks like it's a little bit better, yes. But big question marks over that competition yeah. commission and inquiry. They, and they themselves mention in the statement that this amount is material. Mm. They just can't quantify it. So there's a big one coming, you just don't know how big. One would have wondered why the share only reacted uh, to the extent that it did today, down 3.76%. Yeah, but look, the market knew about this, so, so there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing new about the competition commissioner. All that times are extremely tough in the building and construction industry. Now, this share, obviously before any of, of uh, the current earnings coming into it, is a quite a low PE share. The problem is it's also a very, very low dividend yield share. It's only about a 1% dividend yield on it. And... Uh, you know, building and construction will turn at some stage. You, know, you just don't don't know when. And until that actually happens, it's going to be tough. I mean, you know, Stefanuti has taken quite a beating literally in the last couple of couple of months. But when you look at it longer term, I mean, this was an 11 rand share. It's now 9 rand, so that's in line with. You know, actually has been relative to other construction shares, not a bad performer, even though it has obviously underperformed the market quite dramatically. Market cap of 1.6 billion rand yeah, at relatively prices. Small, yeah. uh, you mentioned the two, the two losers there, ArcelorMittal, 22 rand 62, a share down 6% on the day. Altec also lower, 31 rand 20. 
I guess uh, some people would be asking how low these can go because they, yeah. they're consistently popping up in this 52-week low box. Yeah, it does. Look, ArcelorMittal, man, I, I, I actually don't know if it can truly return to become a, let's call it for want of a better word, a profitable organization. In other words, return decent shareholders, uh, return on capital, uh, you know, meet, meet the cost of capital. I think it is just incredibly difficult to be a steel producer of such essentially small volumes uh, with a very extremely high cost base. I think all the major other steel producers in the world can undercut your price, even deliver to South Africa. So I think this is just an incredibly tough business to be in. I mean, this shares down from 90 rand to 22 rand eh, over the last, what, three years, roughly speaking? 90, yeah. Um, so it's taken a pounding, but I think Highfold's done worse than that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Highfold's actually worse than that. I honestly don't know whether you can be competitive as a steel producer in, in, in South Africa. Your volumes are just too small and your cost base, for numerous reasons, is just too high. So even at this price, I would be very cautious. You know, Altec, Altron, it hasn't done well over the last few years. Mm-hmm. There's been plenty of excursions into other parts of, of, of Africa and they've quite frankly been disastrous, and the company's lost a lot of money on that. There are some good businesses in there, make no mistake, there are some good businesses, but there just doesn't seem to be a strategic direction that the company wants to go into. And of course, one of their largest businesses, the cell phone business, margins are being squashed the whole time, margins are under pressure. Altron and Altec both training under cautionary, <coughs> there yes. are some... Uh, rumors in the market that uh, obviously they would uh, try yet again to try and uh, take out the minorities mm. in Altec collapse the and collapse the structure into into Altron. Uh, the last time they tried this in 2007, um, Altron offered um, those those part prefs, which mm. they have listed separately, uh, to shareholders. Shareholders told them exactly where to, where to take it those didn't, part didn't, prefs. Didn't have a voting rights mm. and it wasn't a full equity participant. But uh, ever since those cautionaries uh, came out, Altex has just been trading lower and lower, lower and, and lower. lower. Yeah. Uh, on, on the high side, Wayne, 52-week highs for a whole host of, of property funds, yes. Oxidec, Premium, Resilient, Nepi, Redefine, practically almost every, almost every one of them. Every one and of that's what Atterbury wants to list, mm. is because why not list when the prices are at a high? It is exactly the right time to list your property fund. Now, now, no property fund will actually say the primary reason why we want to list is because we can get extremely good price or extremely high value for what we're selling. But that's normal. That's, what, that's how the market works. If you think that uh, you can get a really good price for your company, you're going to list it. It's the same as all the IT companies, same as all the construction companies. So at the moment, the listed property is the place to be. I think they're quite expensive. Yields are very, very low. But that doesn't stop them going up because there's not too much of an alternative for capital. So, yes, property has been a wonderful investment for a long time now, but, but as I said, yield is lower. Well, we are trying to get hold of Louis van der Watt, uh, the chief executive of Atterbury Group. Uh, we were scheduled to speak, him just, to speak to him just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, that company is readying itself for a listing on the JSE. It's sold, uh, or it's busy selling uh, its stakes in five shopping centres to Vukile, 
which is how this uh, news made it to the market. Well, the last-minute announcement today of a rival bid for struggling pay television operator Top TV, which has been trading under business rescue since October. Shareholders were set to vote on a 100 million rand bid from Chinese pay TV group Star Times, which already has operations in 16 African countries, including Nigeria and Kenya. That vote uh, scheduled for tomorrow. This bid, uh, the rival bid, is being made by a consortium called Dynamic TV Consortium. The broad-based consortium is being led by Given Makari of uh, MSG Africa Media and Molose Kekana of Falk Trading. We welcome Andile Kumalo, Chief Investment Officer, to the program. Andile, first off, uh, you have some reservations about the start times bid, and uh, no doubt that's why uh, you've put together a, a rival bid. Yes, uh, thanks for having me. Good evening to you and your listeners. We have had a read at the start times uh, plan that's obviously been put to the business uh, rescue practitioner. And uh, in it, there's a couple of, uh, there's, there's, some, there's a lot of information that's missing, uh, particularly around the identity of the BE partner, which is a very, very important and critical part of, the, of APID, especially if you're going to be um, controlling as as in uh, Andile, we'll have to call you back. This line is uh, un- unfortunately uh, pretty terrible, uh, the line that we've managed to get you on. Uh, Wayne, the, the current Electronic Communications Act limiting foreign ownership uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to pay TV to 20%, uh, Star Times argue that they do comply and that they will only have 20% of this company. There's all sorts of fancy uh, uh, economic maneuvering and financial maneuvering, structuring a holding company uh, to try and to try and get around the 20%. Because you can imagine from their perspective, they're not rushing to put money into something yes. uh, for only 20% exposure. Yeah. Look, I mean. Every government in the world would like to control the national airline or have foreign ownership of airlines because, you know, these are strategic. I mean, we can, we can argue that whether they actually are or not, but, but media is exactly the same. Um, no government in the world really likes foreign, uh, foreign interests owning the media or, as in Italy, the, the concentration of media ownership in, in, in one particular camp. But I suppose you've got to get foreign investment somehow, and if you place too many restrictions on it, it actually, it actually won't come through. But, I mean, Top TV, if you take on DSTV as a competitor, you are taking on, you know, literally a massive, com- a massive machine that. And you have got to have, excuse the pun, you have got to have top, top content. And deep pockets. And deep pockets. Andile, Andile rejoins us now. Andile, this uh, requirement by the Electronic Communications Act were to limit foreign ownership at 20%. Star Times no doubt argue that they comply with that. Uh, from your reading, would they comply with that uh, restriction? Well, from our reading, we think it would be problematic. Um, the Act is pretty clear about um, control provisions, particularly around the percentage shareholding. And in their plan, they have somewhat of a structure which says they will control um, 20% of the equity only, so they do restrict their shareholding 20%, but then in the plan, they say they'll control 65% of the economic interest. Um, and then on the B side, the B shareholders, apparently the unidentified ones, are going to control 65% of the equity, but only 20% of the, of the economic interest. So clearly their view was that the restriction is only on equity. Whereas the ECA, is, the ECA is pretty clear that it's around control. 
and an economic interest would be effectively controlled. Now, in terms of your your bid uh, for for Top TV, you have managed to secure a loan of 500 million rand from MultiChoice. Why would MultiChoice, which is Top TV's only rival in the market, agree to back this bid? Well, the pitch that we took to MultiChoice was around enterprise development. So they are obviously the market leader in the game. They've been at it for, for many, many years now. The fact that um, Top TV was licensed in 2007 and was the only one of the four that launched, and it is now going through a business rescue process, kind of shows that um, their role in the market is very, very very difficult for a new entry to come through. And we thought thought that it would be a great opportunity for them to support um, young black entrepreneurs. Uh, Certainly from an energy perspective, we've been been players in media for a while now, albeit around radio. And... uh, we back ourselves and we think that we can make this work. And we went to them on the basis of that. And thankfully for us, they were able to approve the funding of the half a billion, one, to do this particular process, but also to, to fund the actual turnaround of this. As far as the market is concerned, we have, as you've seen, uh, we, we have seen some failures in this market. Telcom Media not even getting off the ground. Uh, we saw some others fall by the wayside. Uh, ESAT deciding rather to launch uh, its, its channel on DSTV. Is there space in the South African market for a sustainable rival? We, we think there is. Um, we think that the number of households that are out there, over 8 million of them that watch television, the penetration of the multi-choice product and the offering of the multi-choice product um, and what ODM has done to date, we think that there's a missing gap. We think we're quite clear about what kind of target market we want to go for. Um, that will also inform the kind of content that we would need to we would want to supply. But obviously at some stage, within all the competition laws, there's going to have to be um, some conversation around, around the leading play in the market, around dealing with some of the compelling content that as obviously Top TV has been starved of in the past. And we're hoping that this opportunity to rescue the business will provide a nice platform for, for us to, to really create a credible player as opposed to a player that wants to compete with a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a player that's been in the market for so long and obviously as the lion's share of the contest. Andila, just to close off with the timing from here on out, there's the shareholder meeting tomorrow. Are shareholders tomorrow going to make a decision around which of these bids to proceed with? So tomorrow is the meeting of the business rescue practitioner with the creditors. Um, and the biggest creditors, as you may have seen in the Star Times plan, is DBSA. Mm. Um, the IDC is also there. The NDS is also there. Uh, and of course, there's normal concurrent credit. And all in all, we took about 1.4 billion of debt that's been put into this business. And um, it's for the creditors to, to consider, one, the start time plan, and, of course, two, our bid, um, and give us an opportunity to go through the, the, the nitty-gritty of our bid. And uh, what we have asked for, really, from the business petitioner is an opportunity for the creditors to consider the detail behind our offer. Andila Kumalo is Chief Investment Officer of MSG Africa Investment Holdings. SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Well, we are still, still trying to reach Louis van der Vaart uh, of Atterbury. His uh, flight has been delayed somewhat, and uh, we will look to talk to him in the next couple of minutes. The unit trust industry continuing to benefit from investor confidence, record inflows. That's new investments into collective investment schemes. 
Peter Blom, Senior Policy Advisor at the Association of Savings and Investments South Africa, spoke with us uh, earlier this afternoon. The first quarter of this year attracting the second highest inflows ever, and for the 12 months to March 31, a record year for, for unit trusts. Uh, Hilton, good afternoon. Yes, indeed, we did have uh, uh, a very good quarter, a very good year, I should say. Um, as was mentioned, uh, we had uh, record flows for the past three quarters, giving us a total inflow for the past 12 months of $166 billion, which is the highest that has ever been achieved. It's not only inflows, though, Peter. Uh, assets under management also increasing significantly uh, over the past five years. Yes, indeed. Um, over the past five years, the assets have effectively doubled um, from $611 billion in 2009 to just shy of $1.3 at $1.28 trillion at the end of the quarter. How have the number of funds available to, to investors increased over the same period? Has there been a significant increase? There has been, a signific- has been quite an increase from uh, up to 988 funds, although over the last couple of years we have seen a tapering off. Uh, the proliferation of funds um, seems, to have been, have, have, has, seems to have stopped. No doubt we will cross that uh, thousand uh, mark at some point. Uh, uh, undoubtedly, because we are aware of one or two collective investment scheme managers uh, about to launch uh, new schemes. Peter, who's investing these inflows, uh, significant inflows, over $100 billion, uh, in the 12 months? Uh, is this retail clients, retail clients like perhaps you and I? Um, very much so. Um, we have seen that... Um, by intermediaries, we've had 35% uh, of the flows from intermediaries, um, and direct investors about 27% of the flows, which means um, effectively 60% of the inflows consisted of retail money. In terms of uh, the investments and the, the types of funds being selected by investors, is there a strong bias towards a, a certain type of fund? Very much so, uh, Hilton. We've, we've seen very strong flows over the last uh, couple of quarters into the uh, South African multi-asset category. That was previously known as the domestic asset allocation category. And effectively, this, this category uh, gives the the manager a mandate to invest, invest in across all asset classes. So not only equities? Not only equities, correct. How have the equity-specific uh, funds uh, performed? The um, equity funds have performed reasonably well. Um, if we have a look at the figures for um, last three years, um, the equity funds have performed at 13%. Um, so with, with the... With the Inflation ranging between five and six percent. Mm. That gives quite a considerable uh, rear return there. Just to close up with Peter, what about offshore investments? Uh, given that there are a large number of locally registered foreign funds, have those started to attract uh, inflows? Uh, no. As a matter of fact, we we have seen um, we we have seen some outflows there due to to uh, mainly due to some of the funds deregistering. Um, we had net outflows of about three hundred million. However, the interesting figure is that the assets under management uh, have grown from 143 billion to 164 billion, uh, but that has to be seen in, in the context of the rand depreciating by approximately 20% in 2012 against the against the US dollar.
That's Peter Blom, their senior policy advisor at CISA. Wayne, if you look at the top 10 funds in the country uh, for 2012 into 2013, uh, Alan Gray leading the pack with its balance fund, 67 billion rands worth of funds under management. A large number of money market funds, yes. that's to be expected, uh, about 150 billion rands worth of money in, in money market funds if you look at the top Yeah, but 10. that's a green alternative to a bank deposit. And mm. Some banks encourage you to go in there, some don't because they want the money on the balance sheets. Just about the money market funds, Alan Gray's balance fund leading the pack, Alan Gray's equity fund uh, in second place, uh, Coronation's balance plus fund, also Investex opportunity fund, Alan Gray's stable fund, uh, Alan Gray really crowding, <laughs> crowding out everyone. Well, look, you would expect the top, the top three uh, successful asset managers to be there, Alan Gray, Coronation and Investec, and that's exactly what you see. This Integrity Tax feature is brought to you by the Chartered Accountants of South Africa in the interest of providing professional tax planning solutions to minimize business or individual tax risk. Well, in this month's Integrity Tax feature, we're joined by Deborah Tickle, partner for International and Corporate Tax at KPMG. Deborah, this month we're looking at thin capitalization, how that relates to transfer pricing, and a uh, slightly complicated change regarding the way this used to be dealt with and the way that uh, the Revenue Service and Treasury is suggesting this be dealt with in future. What's changed between the the, the previous um, implementation of this legislation and, and what Treasury and, uh, and the Revenue Service, SARS, seeks to, to be looking at implementing retrospect with its draft interpretation note, which was released uh, about six weeks ago. Okay, hi there. Um, yes, basically when companies invest in South Africa, um, they need to be aware of what they call transfer pricing, and that is the cross-border um, pricing of, of the goods and services. And the practice note that we had previously, which was called practice note two, dealt with the provision of loans, which is seen as a service, um, to South African residents from offshore connected parties. So we're only talking connected parties here. And the practice note previously said that if a a non-resident connected party uh, company gave its, for example, subsidiary um, a loan, that loan would be acceptable to the South African Revenue Service if it did not exceed three times the amount of the investment in equity. And what that means that is that um, the interest on that portion of the loan would be deductible for tax purposes, provided that the, the, the rate is satisfactory. In other words, you haven't got an excessive rate. Mm. So it's basically, up to, up to recently, the, the rule has been that provided you have had no more than three times um, your equity in the form of loans, then you would be safe, no problem. What the draft interpretation note now says is that that has gone away. There will be no safe harbor, as they call it, and what companies will have to do is establish what a third party, for example, a bank, would give to a, a resident um, company um, by determining what their credit rating is, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and establishing you know, what kind of amounts would they give and what kind of interest rates would they pay or be allowed to pay. And only once that has been established would the determination of the deductibility of the interest be, um, be, be considered. Um, one of the things they have said is that they will look at a, a ratio being the amount of, of debt, in other words, the amount of the loan, to the earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. So it's a different um, criteria. 
And if that is more than three to one, then um, companies must be aware that they're at greater risk of, of audit. So then you'll have to substantiate much more clearly what the, the interest rate is and what the amount of the loan is. But that's set, they say very categorically that that is not a safe harbor.